0: Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this on Monday, November 23rd, 2020. So we are days out from Thanksgiving, and so how has your week been going so far, Drew?
1: Oh, it's great. You know, I've just been buried in work. Um, I think on Thursday I had six interviews I had to transcribe and get up. On the site, so I've been slowly burning through these, but uh, yeah, it's just a lot of a lot of stuff, Jim. Always working, okay. always working. Uh, okay,
0: now uh, speaking of which, I want to say over at Collider, you did a piece on Animaniacs where you talked with the creative team behind that. Is that correct? Yes. Or?
1: Yeah, well Wesley Wild mm-hmm. and uh, the other uh, executive producer, and and something interesting kind of came up out mm-hmm. of that conversation. But uh, you know, they were saying that that Freakazoid almost was in the show.
0: Yes, yes. This is the reboot that launched on Hulu back on November 20th. So we got a a season one of of 13 episodes. And so we're not talking like a cameo because I know there was that Animaniacs cartoons vote episode and they had, they brought in like the Flintstones and Bugs Bunny and that sort of thing. So this was like Freakazoid on the show, like a regular
1: yeah, because what I, what I said was, you know, that DuckTales has done such a great job, which mm-hmm. there's a new DuckTales on tonight, which I'm very excited mm-hmm. about. But they said, yeah, that was a plan, you know, and, it, you know, they they brought up the Tiny Tunes, which obviously mm-hmm. is getting its own reboot, but that it is. I, yep. I thought that would be kind of a, an interesting concept. It's also interesting because have you watched the new ones, Jim? The new Animaniacs? Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, in fact, I was just listening to the reboot song, which... It, it's supposedly written by the very same team that did the State song and all the music from the previous show, correct?
1: Oh, that's You're great. Right? Yeah. Uh mm. But there's no, you know, there's no um Slappy Squirrel. There's no yeah. Good Feathers. Yeah. There is that interesting new one with the little girl and the alien. I've only mm. seen five. They only sent out five, and I haven't watched the rest. But, you know, mm. I thought that was kind of an interesting new story, but...
0: Yeah, um, yeah. I have to admit, I do miss Slappy. <laughs> the Good Feathers, I I think it was one of those things where, you know, when you're watching Saturday Night Live and it's like they would bring back a character where it's like, you know, I don't think this character actually deserved a second sketch. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the thing with the Good Feathers. Yeah. And likewise, Buttons and Mindy, you know, just sort yes. of like, eh, you know, so. Yeah. Thank you, because that does clear up one of my questions from or your interview for, on Collider with these two, because they mentioned that. Yeah, we were going to potentially bring back Freakazoid, but the the actor wasn't available. And it's just sort of like, wait a minute, Paul Rugg, they did that Teen Titans episode on November 14th. Uh, Hugbies, right? Right.
1: Which is hysterical. What a funny episode.
0: The thing is, I love how totally the Teen Titans people committed that they didn't just bring back Paul Rugg as the voice of Freakazoid. You got... Edward Asner, it's Cosgrove. In fact, they have that that wonderful just deviation in the mid episode. It's like, hey, Freakazoid, you want to go get donuts? And it's just, and, and there's that whole break in the middle of the episode where Cosgrove and Freakazoid are sitting, you know, at a, a coffee shop, and well, a, you know, a maple bar is yes. well, that's from the northeast, yeah. and it's just committed to the whole freakazoid aesthetic in fact that that's half the fun of the episode is robin is like no, no 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 bring don't bring back this character you know he just he does crazy gags and he he steps away from the plot and, and in fact they make a big deal about joe Leahy, the gentleman who was the the actual announcer for the show but i had no idea they actually brought back david warner to do the lobe yeah Oh, talk about man. a legend god yeah he, he's yeah great. The lobe has, what, like five lines in this thing? And the notion that, yeah, let's go get David Warner. Let's bring him back into the booth.
1: You got to do it. You got to do it. There's Mm -hmm. also some very funny inside jokes when they're going through the old film canisters. Oh,
0: oh God, yeah. Oh, God, Beloved
1: Well, maybe not so beloved (laughs) one season Warner Brothers shows in there. Hysteria, I think it's a shout out amongst others. So, yeah, check it out. It
0: does. Just the conveyor belt of things that are going straight into the furnace. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. No, definitely, definitely check that episode out of of Teen Titan Go, folks. Huggabees. And speaking of things, also to check out while we were away, we we had the debut of the new Wonderful World of Mickey Mouse shorts. And I'm almost kind of hesitant to use the word "short" because the original Mickey Mouse shorts that Paul Rudish did were what three
1: three and a half minutes. Long? Yeah, they were three and a half minutes. Yeah.
0: Okay, and these two that have come out so far on Disney+, Plus, we have Cheese Wranglers and House of Tomorrow, nine minutes long. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, a lot of fun, but wow, you know, for them, this is really long form. I mean, they also did the holiday special and the Halloween show, so they've done longer form pieces. But as a
1: Disney fan, what did you
0: make of the House of Tomorrow show?
1: Well, I, I liked it. And I, I talked to Paul Ruddish on mm-hmm. in an interview that will be going up tomorrow morning, I think. This mm-hmm. is one of the 19 things I was working on, Jim, in the past week. But um, okay. he talked about how it was liberating for them because in the shorts, mm-hmm. uh, it was always sort of... Mickey was always his his own foil. He Mickey was always getting in his own way. And what was fun about the new ones is that they can actually bring in actual antagonists. Pete and Mortimer supposedly play a big role in these. this batch of episodes. And um, I was telling you before the show that there's another episode that I've seen that mm-hmm. takes place at a roller disco that Ursula actually is in. And they brought back Pat Carroll to voice oh. Ursula. And it's really, really funny and super fun. And if you've ever visited the Moonlight Roller Rink over by the studios in Burbank, mm-hmm. uh, you will notice where a lot of the art direction comes from in this episode, I think.
0: Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Oh, just oh, paying a tribute to the folks who, who do voice work on these things. Did you enjoy Alan Tudyk as the voice of the House of the Future? Oh,
1: my God. When he put – when he that moment where they show the shrine that he's made for Minnie and it's just <laughs> totally horrific. That was so funny. I just, I loved it. I loved
0: it. Uh, Yeah. Again, these are great fun folks. Definitely worth checking out. And while we're talking about Cartoon Mice, though, while we were away, we had, is this the teaser trailer or the uh, first official trailer for Tom and Jerry?
1: It feels like the first official trailer, but I was waiting for the end of the trailer to say coming next week on HBO Go, kind of like they did for The Witches, Mm -hmm. um, which I don't know if you, have you watched that yet, Jim? Not yet. Not yet.
0: Thanksgiving, I'm I'm binging all manner of family-related things because, again, that's what you do at Thanksgiving. What fascinated me over this past week was people were pointing out all of the films that are celebrating anniversaries in November. You know, Moana was released in 2016, Beauty and the Beast back in 1991. You know, people forget this used to be part of Disney's business plan that you would open these new family films. Literally, the day before Thanksgiving or the weekend before Thanksgiving with the notion that, okay, you're home. You come in. You spend time with your family. And after two and three hours, you're like, i got to get out of here. These kids are driving me crazy. i, I got to find things to do. It's like, hey, there's a brand new Disney movie down the street. Let's go see that. Right. So it seems like a coincidence that all of these movies are opened in this same period of time. No, it, business plan. It's you know, just the fact that you can only spend so much time with your family and relatives before you need to get out of there, it's important to have a new movie in theaters. Right. So back to Tom and Jerry. What did we think of this?
1: I mean, I thought the art style was kind of cool. It sort of reminds me of what ILM did for the Adventures of Rocky and bullinkle movie. Uh, yeah. Okay. Oh, so many years that. ago, which was the yep. only really impressive part of that movie. But that kind of almost cel shaded two D mm. slash three D look is kind mm. of fun, but the movie just looks stupid and I, I'm not really sure who is connecting with Tom and Jerry. But I think I flat
0: out asked you. Does, does Tom and Jerry work in a post Itchy and Scratchy universe? Because Itchy and Scratchy can do everything that Tom and Jerry does, only
1: meaner and and, right. and more graphic. They fight and bite, Jim. They fight. <laughs> By the way, have you ever
0: seen the photos from Disney MGM where for one summer they had Tom and Jerry walk around characters?
1: No. Why why did they have them?
0: That fascinates me as well. I've seen just one image of the characters in the park, and this was for I want to say it's it's the version of the film where Richard kind did the voice of Jerry and who
1: oh, voice- I remember this movie. Yes, I do. Remember. Yeah, It was just okay. called Tom and Jerry, the movie, right?
0: There we go. Yeah. Okay. And I I want to say through some weird tie with Disney, the characters ended up in the park. But I also want to say the young lady, Dana, what's her name? Who did the voice of Max for Goof Troop. Dana uh, Hill. She did. Yeah. There we go. Uh, she did Jerry.
1: Yes. So, and that was her final film role, too. Was it really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: we lost her too soon.
1: Uh, and, and speaking of
0: people, we we lost too soon. I mean, obviously, Tom and Jerry, you know, that's how Joe Barbera and William Hanna actually made their mark at MGM back in the 40s. And then, of course, when MGM shut down its animation unit, they, they stepped into television animation and, and became the giants there. But they became the giants there because they had the help of some very, very talented people. And among them... Were Ken Spears and Joe Ruby. Now we paid tribute to Joe Ruby uh, back in August of this year. We we lost him. He was one of the co-creators of Scooby Doo. But just earlier this month, on November eighth, we also lost Ken Spears. And I think when you and I were talking about the Scoob, was it was a yeah, Scoob, Scoob yeah, Scoob. They did deliberately put tributes in the film to both Ken and Joe. W-
1: were they like street signs? I want to say they were street signs. Yeah, And I think the. There, where they are eating dinner, I think next to it is the old building, is actually the old Hanna-Barbera building. That's right. Yeah, there's That's a lot right. of stuff in there.
0: Yeah. Uh, and of course, Scoob got a home pre- a premiere back in May of this year. And as long as we're talking of car- cartoon characters from the 1960s, we have another one headed to the big screen now. We have a Pink Panther movie.
1: Yeah. But for the first time in a long time, they're actually going to use the animated Pink Panther character, mm-hmm. which is very weird. Did you see that the, the description of it is about a bank robber that suffers a head injury and then sees the character, like interacts with the character? No.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. All right. Uh, that's that's so, an interesting
0: bullet point. Yeah. And no disrespect to the folks who are tackling this project, but face it. Uh, anyone who saw the opening credits for uh, 1975's Return of the Pink Panther, 1976, The Pink Panther Strikes Again, th- th- those credits were done by Richard Williams, and they were the gold standard. Beautiful animation, really, really funny, especially in The Pink Panther Strikes Again, where it's the Clouseau character pursues the Pink Panther into a movie theater, and and kind of in that... Buster keaton way that Clouseau actually steps into the screen with the Pink Panther, and then they do tributes to, like, Frankenstein. And, in fact, at one point, the Pink Panther actually walks across the screen dressed as Mickey Mouse.
1: Is that the – that's not the Roberto Benigni one, is it?
0: No, no, no. Because there, there was
1: something similar like that in that one, too. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: no. This was when Sellers and Blake Edwards were still getting along before they they had their falling out. Well, there's
1: one of them that he completed after Sellers died.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) that one is fascinating because the very little portions of Sellers that are in it are outtakes. I mean, he he literally had stuff left on the cutting room floor that he was able – what is that, Trail of the Pink Panther? Yeah. Yeah, not particularly good. But anyway, this time around, we have the gentleman who's bringing the the Pink Panther back in the feature. This is the gentleman who directed Sonic the Hedgehog, which I'm not going to talk that film down because it was one of the very last films to get a traditional Hollywood release. Yes. January of this year, went out in theaters just before COVID changed the world. Did you ever see it? I have not. I'll add it to the pile for for Thanksgiving Day. Add it to the pile. But speaking of it, since we last recorded a show, the world has changed. That announcement that Wonder Woman 1984 is not only going to be out in theaters at
1: Christmas Day? Yes, Christmas Day. Yep.
0: Okay, Christmas Day, but it's also on the exact same day going to be available on HBO Max, which, remember, this is something that Bob Iger had been talking about with exhibitors for a decade, you know, or more, you know, to the effect of... Let's shorten the theatrical window. Let's make films available at the exact same time in different formats. And what do you think about this?
1: It's just fascinating to me because I understand why they're doing it because Mm -hmm. they need to get the movie out and theaters are obviously suffering. And so if Mm -hmm. there is a theater open, you know, they can put it in there. The universal stuff is really interesting to me, too. Like Mm -hmm. Freaky will be on VOD 17 days after its release. And the wow. Crudes 2 will be on VOD by Christmas. So, actually, you will still have a Crudes versus Soul showdown, but on, on demand.
0: Now, speaking of which, I know from uh, what I read over at Collider, you've already seen uh, Crudes
1: and New Age, and you seem to like it quite a bit. I liked it a lot. And they're actually doing a really fun thing in LA where you can mm. actually go and watch it at Universal City Walk. Outside on the roof of the uh, parking structure. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're going to have all these crazy, you know, walk around characters and stuff. But I thought it was very clever. Mm -hmm. Um, Joe Pitt, who is an, an amazing animator who worked on Gravity Falls, did a lot of stuff for it. And it's just really fun. You know, it's it's exactly what you want. It's got mm-hmm. a lot of gags. It's beautifully animated, great vocal mm-hmm. performances. So I, I was very impressed. I, I did not expect to love it as much as I did. Your review, you had very,
0: very high praise for Nicolas Cage's vocal performance in this thing.
1: Yes. It's it's interesting to me that the least cartoony Nicolas Cage movies have actually been <laughs> happening in cartoons. Um, so, <laughs> you know, b- between this and Spider-Verse and Teen Titans Go to the Movies, he's he's – Done well for himself. But, yeah, the whole movie is sort of from his perspective, which was very interesting. And, uh, yeah, I thought it was just great. I think you're going to like it a lot. Speaking of,
0: of wonderfully cartoony Nicholas Cage performances, did you see where I forget which group is doing Raising Arizona? I think, you know, they're reading it, out, you know, is it is no. something they're performing it as a play? Yeah, I, I want to say it's a, it's an, another fundraiser for actors' equity, that sort of thing. But the press release just came through and it was just the whole notion of, oh, somebody is going to try to do what Nicolas Cage did in, in Raising Arizona. And after having watched what our buddy Josh Gad did in uh, The Princess Bride, where he had to come in and, and channel Andre the Giant and did a wonderful job, that's
1: hard to
0: do. Yeah,
1: that should be fun, though.
0: What did you make of the other story that broke while we were away about how a number of things that Disney has in the works for theatrical release? We are talking about David Lowry, the 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 yeah. gentleman who's doing Peter and Wendy and how much you're looking forward to that and and, and Cruella's already in the can, right? Yeah, I Cruella's mean,
1: done I forget who mm. we were talking to about it, but you know, mm. I always talk to people on on Light the Fuse or if I'm doing mm. something else and I say Oh, you're working on such and such. Well, how's mm. that going? And so mm. somebody told me that Cruella turned out really well mm-hmm. and that they used the song. So oh. yeah. So okay. something to look forward to, Jim. All right.
0: Yeah. But again, there was this article and I want to say it was deadline. Uh, yeah. that, that put it out there. But again, it's Disney is considering shifting Peter and Wendy Cruella. And this one kind of confused me. Robert Semeckis' Pinocchio, with supposedly starring Tom Hanks, that that is being shifted away from theatrical release and will be over at Disney Plus. And you kind of called shenanigans on this, right? Yeah, or? it's sort
1: of like you know what? One and only Ivan was supposed to the- be theatrical. So was mm-hmm. Hamilton. So mm-hmm. was Att- you know Artemis mm-hmm. Fowl, and so was Magic Camp. Like all of these things were supposed to be theatrical and obviously we're not getting out of this thing anytime soon so Mm -hmm. you know i think that decisions will be made when they're made but i sort of don't think that something like pinocchio would be pegged to disney plus already
0: and it's interesting you say that because it was striking to me in reading this deadline piece that there was no mention of little mermaid and that they had built the sets they were what Days out from starting shooting, when COVID came down and shut everything down, and
1: yeah, I think they're shoot. They start shooting, I think, again this week. Or really, yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. So th- I mean, they're up and running again in in England, but you know, I think it is telling that the last two billion dollar grossing remakes were from the '90s. Well, besides. Jungle Book which I think crossed a billion all the, the remakes that were f- the really big hits were from the 90s Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin and mm-hmm, Lion King mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then something like Dumbo comes out and kind of fizzles so maybe there will be tears I'm sure that they would have rather had Dumbo be on Disney Plus mm-hmm. but yeah I like Dumbo I don't know what people's problems were
0: For me the whole issue was that the first film was this 60 minute long gem <laughs> This is as much story as there is to tell. And I have to admit, and forgive me the adult language, I admire the balls of basically making Walt Disney the villain (laughs) of Dumbo. I mean, you know, the the, the Michael Keaton character who's, you know, he's got his family fun park and brings in, you know, Dumbo. And it's like, only a Tim Burton would dare to do that in a Disney film. Right. Tim Burton's one of these people where if he makes a movie, I'm showing up. But at the same time, Big Eyes? Did, did yes. you ever see that one?
1: I actually saw a test screening of Big Eyes. I've never seen the finished version, so I did not see when they took out some of Danny Elfman's music to put a Lana Del Rey song in there. Oh. But okay. let me mm-hmm. let me just say that I have done research in the time that we've been talking, and the mm-hmm. reason that Tom and Jerry were mm-hmm. in Disney and Jim Studios mm-hmm. is because the movie was distributed by Miramax. There we go. On the okay. subject of okay. the Weinsteins, which put out Big Big Eyes as well I always thought I thought Big Eyes was fine but I thought it should have been a better movie given the subject matter and the and the screenwriters and everything else
0: whenever Alice is out visiting we invariably will go together to see Tim Burton movies and we did Dark Shadows we did Big Eyes and in both cases it's like even a Tim Burton movie that doesn't entirely work is more interesting than 90 percent of the stuff that's out there
1: yeah it's like pizza even when it's bad <laughs> it's still pretty good <laughs>
0: Well, there we go. Right. I can guarantee you that's not going to end up on the box like your Coco quote. quote. But I'm just saying, you know. So, all right. Anyway, folks, we'll have even more talk about what's going on at Disney Plus when we get back from, from this break. Quick plug before we get st- started chatting here. I got sent a review copy of a brand new book that I'm sure animation fans are going to want to chase down. It is Wild Minds. Subtitle says tells the story of the artists and the rivalries that inspired the golden age of animation. This is by a Reed Mittenbuehler, and Reed knows his stuff. He, he's there's a lot of stuff in here. For example about Art Babbitt in the middle of the the Disney strike and him kind of going head-to-head head with Walt. Likewise, discussions of UPA in the early days of Warners, and this is the golden age of animation. This is, you know, we're talking 30s roughly into the, the late 50s, early 60s. In fact, we were just talking about Hanna-Barbera and the impact when those guys were working and doing so much stuff for television animation, uh, it really did impact what was going on with the features. But Greed does a very nice job, so if you're looking for something to get the animation fan on your Christmas list, this is worth checking out. Uh, likewise, The Art of Pixar's Soul is out, and then, of course, there is this genuinely wonderful book, The Art of Onward, which, again, uh Black Friday special.
1: Yeah, pick it up. Less than $20 for that big old book is uh, is a good deal. I had a... A copy of the Art of Soul come mm. to me from Chronicle, and somebody slid it down the middle and took the book out, Jim. So I, I do, I am not looked at no! the Art of Soul yet. So, oh
0: my God, the thief! This, well, this makes me hesitant to mention that I did send you my copy of Onward for I, you to actually autograph.
1: Yes, yes, I have it here. Yes, I need to send I it back. I go out to, to the yeah.
0: mailbox, I open it. There is no box. I walk back. I'm depressed.
1: I know. I know. It's terrible.
0: Folks, that's actual guilt you saw it, it administered there. Let's see if it works. And we, while we were just talking about Thanksgiving and the holidays and that sort of thing, what did we think of the Lego uh, Star Wars Holiday Special?
1: I really liked it. I thought the animation was really top-notch, some great mm-hmm. uh, vocal performances. In fact, I talked to Kelly Marie Tran last week and, with an interview that hasn't gone up yet, and I said, I think you had more lines in the Lego Holiday Special <laughs> than you did in— Rise of Skywalker, and she said, Do we even have to count? I, I, oh, I you know. Oh, so. that, that's
0: great. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Okay. I really do like a lot of the writing on uh, the Lego Star Wars stuff. In fact, the team over there, I think, really doesn't get enough credit. I think that the folks at Lucasfilm really don't get enough credit because they are willing to, if you think about how fast and loose. Well, just this holiday special plays with canon. For example, how grumpy the Emperor gets with Darth Vader's gift. It's like, you know, the world's greatest Emperor. Did
1: you even try? I like how many references there are to the fact that the Emperor could never come back after what happened to (laughs) him during the Jedi.
0: (laughs) Well, or more to the point, you know, it's like when when, when Darth Vader and the Emperor are hanging out with Kylo Ren, is like, could you put on a shirt? (laughs) No, it's seriously great, great fun and, and worth it if you're a holiday fan, just for the final image where it's, you know, it's Yoda dressed up as Sam the Snowman from Rudolph. And and again, while we're talking stu- about stuff over at Disney+, uh, what did we make of the new documentary series, Inside Pixar?
1: I thought it was really great. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you like it? I went in with
0: the mental yardstick of, I mean, Leslie Owicks did such an amazing job with the Imagineering story. And, I, and you and I have been covering Pixar f- decades at this point, and we know the stories. We know, you know, so there's like, oh boy, if they took an imagineering uh, story approach. And and in fact, you know, the kind of the irony is, remember, Leslie actually did do the Pixar story, but it just is like a two-hour long film?
1: Yeah, I think it's on the WALL-E Blu-ray. There we go.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I guess I was going into it with that mindset, but these shorter, focused on individual- artists or, or people who worked at Pixar was just as fascinating or if not more so.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, you can get through the you can get through all 5 of the first batch in about mm-hmm. an hour. There are mm-hmm. so many more coming though, mm-hmm. so you know, get ready, including one about how they finished Soul remotely. Uh, oh. So I can't wait to see that. But anyway, yeah, I think the subjects they chose were really great. I think that mm-hmm. the Jessica Height story about how she yeah. Devised a program to track mm-hmm. the gender imbalance of Pixar screenplays is amazing. Mm-hmm. I thought that was so cool. And Jim, what did you think? Did you did you catch the creatures from Luca in Deanna's episode? The next time I'm up in river, I want
0: to hang with Diana. I love her clothes. I love her wardrobe. I love her attitude. But yeah, I love that that was buried in there. And you know, the, well, first of all, her. Her trip to Italy to the the seaside village to sort of capture the flavor and capture the Italian people for Luca, but yeah, to to actually get to see the little boy creature, the friend creature, uh, it's like, ooh, that yeah. looks interesting.
1: Yeah. And how good was the Kemp short about the barbershop? Oh God, he is a joy, Jim. Is he, he really is so great? Mm-hmm. And. I've already said how much I love Soul on this show, Mm -hmm. but that sequence is absolutely amazing. And so to be able to get to go behind the scenes of that, I thought was super, super Mm -hmm. powerful.
0: I also have to ask the whole Dan Scanlon one where he's talking about coming up with the story of Onward and... And no pressure on the brother, you know, that, that last shot of the entire crew, everybody in the theater for the, the crew screening of Onward, and and the brother who inspired the story, who was not seen any of the movie. It's like, my brother's here, and it's the first time you've seen the movie. And it's like, you got to imagine at the party after the crew screening, how many people came up, came up to him, oh, come on, come on, what'd you think? Was it good? What do you think, you know? He didn't look that enthusiastic
1: about it at the end. I was kind of like, ooh. But
0: you're not wrong. <laughs> I was kind of interpreting the same thing, like ooh, okay.
1: Yeah, they're really great, and Stephen Hunter, who directed Out, you've watched Out, right? Yeah, yeah. What a yeah. wonderful short, and he's <laughs> hilarious and wonderful. Yeah,
0: the mom in that thing is so killer, and and how funny was it that pizza casserole actually exists?
1: <laughs> I want it, Jim. I oh want no,
0: it. that's the other thing. I think that's it. my one complaint about that that you can't show that being made and not share the recipe. Come on. It's it's documentary 101. Just make the recipe aware so, so the earthers can clearly eat this meal that would then you know, make us sit on the couch for roughly eight to ten hours because nobody's going to move after eating something quite that heavy. Right. So there's only five of them so far that are available on Disney Plus. And you mentioned that there's a lot more coming? Or
1: There are a lot more coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the next batch is called Portraits. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, I think they work, they've work. they been working on these for the last couple of years, so there's a lot. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're going to see a lot of, of really cool stuff coming out. Um, from oh, that, and oh. I, I, I welcome it. I love the length. I love how specific they are and how inspiring mm-hmm. they are. I think, just think, it's great. Okay, well, speaking of things
0: we, we should all be looking forward to, Drew has been working on the definitive history of rescuers down under, and you know what is,
1: people really want, Jim—the definitive history of rescuers down under. Uh,
0: now, now you see, now that, that you're joking. But I have a lot of affection for this film. I always felt so bad because it fell into that gulf between The Little Mermaid in 89 and Beauty and the Beast in 91. And that coupled with the fact that The Prince of the Popper featurette that played in front of it, really, that's fallen through the cracks as well. I mean, it's just, it's so strange that this really well-done film, which has, the story may not hang together, you know, as well, certainly not as well as the original Rescuers from... From 77, but there are masterful sequences in this thing. I mean, the Marahudi flight scene or how the message that the little boy needs to be rescued travels around the globe.
1: Oh, I love that scene. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I love it, yeah. And the Marahoodie sequence, you know that that, that was boarded by Brenda Chapman, and Look. I think the flight sequence was boarded by Chris Sanders. Oh wow. And okay. I talked to Brenda recently and she said that in her in that sequence that she boarded where the the kid comes to Marahuti, and the eagle mm-hmm. kind of explains what happened and the father has mm-hmm. been killed and there's eggs and mm-hmm. and all that was actually the eagle talked when she got the scene. Wow. And she said, "No, I don't think that's mm-hmm. going to work." And she mm-hmm. boarded this scene brilliantly mm-hmm. with the help of Glenn Keane and it was mm-hmm. based on some Footage she had seen from a true life adventure that Roy had done. Oh. <laughs> of an eagle, oh, cool. which is really okay. interesting. And so these are the kind of stories you're going to get, Jim. And again, you
0: have to be an old fart like me to have been in a theater in 1990 and sat down. And when that opening happened, and again, I'm dating myself because I'm going to call it Ayers Rock, the huge you know, rock formation that, you know, in the middle of the Australian outback. But that scene where the camera is flying over the poppy fields, it's all CG, but it's this amazing camera move.
1: Well, and and the moment right before that that camera move starts Mm -hmm. is basically the rack focus from the beginning of Lion King that people lost their minds over. There we go. There we go. Yeah.
0: With the the, the little bug. Yeah. Yeah. And that coupled with the fact that you got Bob Newhart back with with this wonderful backward spin on – you know, every line for Bernard, or, or likewise, Ava Gabor.
1: I heard a good story about Bob Newhart, Jim, which is that they tried to get him to do lines differently. Mm-hmm. And he said, I could do it again, but it's pretty much going to be the same. <laughs> 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 it's like, yeah, I'll do it again, you know, but there's not going to be much. Di-. Like, he he so knew his sort yeah. of comic timing. Uh, um, oh, no, no, so, no. Abs- yeah.
0: Absolutely. But, but on the other hand... The stories I've heard about John Candy working on this thing—did they? Did anybody talk about working with John? Or yeah, he was
1: supposedly just a delight. I talked to Mike mm. Gabriel about him, and he mm. was just—you know—everybody loved him. Mm. And obviously, had had things been differently, Mike Gabriel would have worked with him again. Yeah, you know
0: that's—you know—in fact, it's kind of ironic, folks. were are coming up on on Thanksgiving because if, if yet yeah, what what Drew's referring to is if things had gone a different way. Pocahontas would have had a turkey friend called Redfeather that that John, I, and I want to say John actually did record some stuff for it, right, before we lost him? Yeah, or? I think there's
1: test footage somewhere I know I've seen, mm-hmm. you know, on YouTube mm-hmm. before they strike it down, but <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's pretty amazing.
0: Well, now speaking of which, again, not to give anything away, but you had that amazing story about it's this time 30 years ago, and- Rescuers Down Under has come out and is and just didn't do the business. And poor Mike Gabriel goes home to spend time with his family over Thanksgiving. And
1: yeah, uh, you know, the movie had been massacred. There was a, a little movie that nobody expected to be a hit called Home Alone that opened and go. absolutely killed everything in its path. And when you read my story, you'll actually hear about a time when Mike Gabriel and Macaulay Culkin crossed paths many years later. But I will I will not ruin that story now. <laughs> Uh, Oh, wow. But yes, so Mike Gabriel is devastated. I mean, he is absolutely distraught. By the Wednesday after the movie opened, they'd Mm. already pulled all advertisements for it. There were 44 million McDonald's toys in circulation at that point, and they had just given up on the movie. So he goes home for Thanksgiving, and he he is very honest, and he makes a list of things that the movie didn't have that Disney classics Mm. did have. And actually, if you read Eisner's book, he talks about these things, too. You know, that it didn't have a song. It didn't have memorable characters, this, that, and the other. And so he's at his, I think he's at his sister's house for Thanksgiving. And he looks at the bookshelf and he pulls down a copy of Pocahontas. And he says, this will be the next movie. And everything that I did not have in that first movie, I will have in this new one. Holy cow.
0: So, yeah. That's a great story. Wow. Yeah. And there'll be lots and lots and lots of great stories about The Rescue was done Under. Like a, a, a film that seriously deserves more love. Bruce Broughton's
1: score, I mean, come on. Yes,
0: yes, how many t- how many times did you hear that that music pulled for either trailers or other yeah. projects? People in the industry recognized what it was. It just the audiences didn't show up. Yeah, but again, folks, that'll be hopefully showing up uh, later this week, if not early next week. Yes, so keep an eye on Collider over there. But it, until then, Drew, if people are looking for other entertaining things, what's going on with Light the Fuse these days?
1: Oh, we're just trying. You know, I, my co-host is about to have a baby, so we mm-hmm. are just churning through episodes over there. But did you listen to the Michael Giacchino? Did you get the the, the Space Mountain story, Jim? Can
0: you do the a Reader's Digest version of that? Yes. Basically,
1: oh, okay. he, they hired him to do the music for Space Mountain, but they mm-hmm. said, oh, our Space Mountain is actually in pieces right now because it's being <laughs> renovated, so let's go to Tokyo instead, because that's basically the same layout. And mm-hmm. they said, well, why don't we stop in Paris on the way? We've got to do something else. You can take a look at that Space Mountain, too, while we're at it. So, for one project that is a total of, I think, a minute and a half of music, he got mm-hmm. to go all the way around the world, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's a very funny story that he tells a lot better than I do, but it's it's pretty cool. And I think towards the end of January, we're starting the, the John Wick miniseries, uh, um, which wait. will knock your socks off. It's really okay. good. So, I'm really excited about that. And then, hopefully in the summer, we will be doing one for Top Gun 2 called Light the Fuselage. So, get oh, ready for
0: that. Oh, yes. okay. All right. Start the merch now. That's yes, great. Yes. Okay. Um, okay. Well, you know, the, once you finish listening to the, the latest Light to Fuse, we also have a few podcasts over here. We've got Disney Dish with Lentesto. We've got Universal Giant with Dustin Fuse. We've got Looking at the Lucasfilm. I'm, I'm doing a few more of those with Dan Z. We have the Marvelous Disney Podcast, which is do with Aaron Adams. And I want that with Shelley Vallaudolid, and we're getting ready for our big Black Friday show. So hopefully that'll be available to listen to shortly. If you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and recommend both Light Diffuse as well as Fine Tuning, that would be very helpful. If you want to subscribe over at Bandcamp, that would be killer. Can you tell them where they can find you online,
1: Drew? Yes, this is uh, Drew uh, Tailored, like a tailored suit on Twitter and um, yeah, I'm picking fights with people and uh, sharing images, (laughs) old images of Epcot is basically, those are my two default modes, I think um, Uh. on Twitter, but yeah, you can, you can see everything that I'm writing there, which is a lot, um, but yeah, have fun. For us, you can find
0: us on Twitter and Instagram at Jim Hill media, and then on Facebook at Jim Hill media news. That will do it for tonight. So thanks for listening. And Drew and I will be back soon.